So uh, virtual reality was pretty new at that time. And then it was coincidence, Alan Rudolph sent an email and I didn't know he's a vice president for research. I responded to email <laughs> because I'm like, I can't make it to this meeting. And then we spoke on the phone because I couldn't make it to the meeting. And I realized, oh, he's into virtual reality too, very supportive, creating these different hubs around campus. So it was kind of coincidence too. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin. And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. Don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today, we're lucky enough to have a friend and colleague from construction management, Dr. Svetlana Olbina. Welcome. We're glad to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, we're looking forward to the conversation. We want to get to know a little bit about you uh, as a person and you as a scholar. We certainly don't want to keep our feet, our minds, or our conversation on campus. And so we'll look forward to hearing more about you in terms of what you do as a scholar. Uh, but also some personal history and influences. Those, those things are important to us as we get to know this community that we call the College of Health and Human Sciences. So we want to start with, with Svetlana, the scholar, and we're interested in big ideas, things that you pursue as a scholar. We, we look forward to hearing about what those big ideas are, big problems. So I think the most recent research that I have been doing is in the area of virtual and augmented reality in construction. And it's a completely new approach for, uh, to designing and constructing buildings. And I think the big problem that we saw with use of this technology is communication and visualizing the buildings. Mm. Because typically for the owners that are constructing a building, they're not knowledgeable in reading the drawings that are in two dimensions. So when they see something in three dimensions or are able to walk through the building with VR goggles, they're able to understand why is building so complex and why it takes so long and why it would take uh, so much money to construct it. So I think uh, that's the current research I'm doing, and also I'm implying that in the classroom with my students. Tell me about the reaction of the students. I'm, I'm students are pretty excited when I ask them, uh, how many of you play video games? They're pretty shy, they don't raise their hands, but I say <laughs> it's good actually when you play video games because you're gonna be comfortable with the joysticks and walking through. So they're pretty excited, and they're able to see their little projects that they're working on throughout the semester and then correct them based on what they see in the 3D virtual world, rather than just uh, in a Revit, that is one of the tools we are learning. It's somewhat coincidental. I was looking at a floor plan this morning on campus. I go to the meeting at noon in, in a room I've never been in. So I'm going to the maps and looking at these <laughs> two-dimensional and trying to figure out, okay, so where, where exactly is this in this building, yeah. Yeah. right? So this, this is really helpful. Yeah. I'm interested in the extent to which it's actually used in, in the building industry yet. Is, is it being adopted? Here and there, or, or yeah. more widespread? So I think it's still in its infancy when it comes to industry. There are several companies that are interested and in leading in this area, not many. They will use virtual reality for visualizing and for marketing purposes. And then augmented reality, which is a different approach or tool where you overlay existing building with what is designed or what will it look like in future. That's more used in construction industry okay. for quality control, to see where we are going with construction and for constructability reviews. Interesting. 
So it is there, but not not hundred percent. Not many companies. And and is it more um, commercial versus residential? It's more commercial, I would say, but I think residential will go in that area, and heavy civil is a little bit lagging behind. But they are looking at that too. And I'm I'm interested in early adopters. Are there, so, for example, is this more common in Europe or Asia than it is in the United States? Um, or? I think it's probably Europe is usually leading. Yeah. If you look at UK, uh, they have requirement that all new projects are built using building information modeling approach, which okay. is a big umbrella where virtual and augmented reality belongs. So Europe is usually leading. Uh, some uh, Asian countries, I would say Singapore, Hong Kong. But then we are also doing a good job here. Good. And yeah. then again, are there particular states or, or industry leaders? That, that yeah, usually uh, California and northeast of the country. Uh-huh. When it comes to the companies, I don't want to single out any company, sure, sure. but we had big su- we have had big support from Mortenson Construction and Saunders in our program. Mm, that's interesting. So that's how we started in our program, actually, to integrate VR. We partnered with Mortenson. We applied to a grant for grant with the OBPR. And we got it, and we were able to buy VR equipment, five sets of VR goggles to, to use it in the classes. So that was, I think, a big revolution in the in the department when we were able to to get this equipment for students and for research. Do you think that uh, the, the the day will come when we will no longer have real model homes in, in new, you know, housing units? Because that's a great can, idea. I never right? thought of that. <laughs> I don't. I was uh, just talking to Avery before the meeting, and I'm. I really like virtual reality, yeah. but I'm still real people's Nothing person. Like the real, thing. Yeah. real reality. So I feel it should be maybe somewhere in between in terms of we can use it as a tool to help us make some decisions whether we live in the virtual world and not in real houses. I don't know. Like how we mentally react to this technology. That's interesting. Isn't it? Uh, I don't know. Something straight out of a sci-fi movie in some ways. Yeah, that's interesting. That was all our housing problem here in Colorado, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone just lived in the metaverse, man. (laughs) Well, uh, of course, uh, I'm I'm really curious to to get some sense of how you got interested in this area. Construction writ large and then the the VR, AR story. And here's where we walk the the calendar back to talk about your educational journey, Mm -hmm. family influences, Mm -hmm. and ultimately we'll come back to Colorado State University. We'll take a little journey. Yeah, I'll I'll try to be short because it's been a long life. (laughs) But um, I grew up in a small town in Serbia that was pretty cultured. My both grandparents, I tell this story to my students, my both grandparents on moms and dad's side were illiterate except one of them. Mm -hmm. So they were farmers, they couldn't read and write, and my parents were those that make uh, the big change in their lives moving from the farm to the city. They were able to get their associate degrees at that time, so they didn't have enough money to go to the college, but they had what I would say white-collar jobs. My dad was a teacher, my mom social worker. So we, we grew up in very loving family, very supportive. Uh, when I was in high school, my parents just asked me, what do you want to study? There was no question whether I will go to college or not. Mm-hmm. But I am glad that I had that support. Uh, I decided to study architecture. Mm-hmm. Nobody in my family was in that field or in construction. And I still consider myself first-generation student. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, they put us to college, my sister and I, with a lot of sacrificing. Sure. 
But uh, again, they, they were always very supportive of our education. So I ended up uh, becoming an architect. However, my jobs were always on the construction side. So I worked um, in construction for about six years after I finished my undergrad. And then there was a recession similar to what we had here maybe 10, 15 years ago. And there was not much work. And I'm like, I'm not learning much anymore in industry. I'm going to go now and teach. And position open up in my School of Architecture in Architectural Technologies Department. And this is in Belgrade, right? That was in Belgrade, yeah. And um, I was teaching there for about um, six years. And it was a great job. However, we had political problems in the region. And I decided to, to look for a better life. Like many people come to the United States for big opportunities. So I moved here uh, in 2000. I was at Virginia Tech Yay. doing my PhD. <laughs> Another hokey. <laughs> in construction, building construction at that time, which is like construction management here. So that's how I, I decided to go from uh, architecture to construction. Here in States, I work for Pulte Homes in a, their construction services. And because of my background, I'm always teaching something related to graphic communication. So I, I drew for a very long time in my life in AutoCAD. And then I was teaching at the University of Florida, a very similar class that I teach here, graphic communications. So uh, I believe about 12, 13 years ago, we shifted to 3D modeling, mm. Revit tool and uh, that's how I started uh, looking more also in research in that area because a lot of graduate students were interested in what we call today building information modeling. And when I moved to, to Colorado State in 2015 with John Elliott, uh, we were thinking about what, ca what else can we do and VR came across so, as a new technology. So we are always looking for what's new and how we can integrate it in classes. That's neat. Yeah. yeah. I have to ask you, if you have a sense of, of what what inspired that initial interest in, in architecture, what was it? Do you feel yeah. something from your surroundings, buildings that you sort of appreciated? or I really don't. Like, you know, when you're 15, 16, you have, you have to make decisions at that point of time. You can't transfer easily from one major to another. So I think I made decision at the age of 16. I was in high school for building sciences. I wanted to go to math, but there was no math that year as a, as a track. So I'm like, I'm gonna do building science. And I really liked it. I liked that uh, I like to draw, I like materials, I like buildings. So that's how I, I don't know. I don't know if it was like really embedded in me originally, but I, I liked it and decided to go into that direction. Do you, do you find yourself ever missing the classical architecture from Eastern Europe, or is that just no? You know? No, I also tell that to my students. You know, to be a, a famous architect like Frank Gehry, it's one out of hundred. There were hundred of us in class in Belgrade. It's a relatively small country, Serbia. And I realize I'm much better in structural design and materials and methods, and I'm going to be more accomplished in that area. So I decided to go in that direction. Good for you. Yeah. So I don't miss it. I like, I still love architecture. I love visiting buildings. I have that love for beauty, but uh, I don't, re I never regretted it. 
Are you able to get back home on occasion to see family? Not very often. I have a lot of extended family there. My sister lives here. Our parents passed away, so uh, I am mostly here. I should go more often, I Indeed. think. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some new listeners in Belgrade. Yeah, right? maybe. I'll share with my friends. Now, tell me a little bit more about the move to the States. Mm-hmm. That, that is not uh, hopping in a car and, and driving no. you know, across state lines or anything. It's a, it's no. a much bigger move than I think most of us are accustomed to thinking about. So talk a little bit more about, again, what prompted that and what, what was it like? You know. Yeah. So I was really, uh, I think I was very patient building my career over the, I think, period of 10 years or 12 years almost. And I realized I need to, I was doing my master's while I was working at, I was a lecturer there and I realized I need to do PhD anyways. And then since things were not getting better there, it was just getting worse and worse. And the economy was pretty bad. My sister was already in the United States. And um, I learned English in school since I was, I think, age, age nine. So I'm like, I speak English so I can go to Australia, UK or US. And US was really, I think, the least complicated country to come to to do PhD and funding. I got full funding from Virginia Tech. So... I think I was very fortunate to get that opportunity. When I came to Virginia Tech, I didn't know it's a very good university. I just hear about Ivy League schools. But then construction management is one of the top in the country. So I was really fortunate. Beautiful downtown Blacksburg. Yeah, Virginia. Blacksburg, yes. beautiful yeah. place, nice people. And a pretty campus, too. Wow, yeah, that. yeah, beautiful campus. I lived on campus, actually. That was the first time in my life I was... Uh, in my 30s already, and uh, after working 10, 12 years, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my PhD. So it was pretty tough first week because uh, I had to go to classes and do homework, and I miss my family back at home. But I know there was no way back, so just going forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Faculty mentors at Virginia Tech? Yeah, I had a few faculty that really, I, I, I still, I'm in touch with my main advisor, Ivan Bellavu, who is retired now, but uh, he helped me a lot professionally and as a, any other kind of support, uh, a great report with students. Mm. So he's my mentor still, I would say. And then I, I worked with uh, Walita Beth, another faculty he was on my committee ron wakefield is in australia and we are still in touch so that's great that's been great yeah and the transition from virginia tech was was to industry or straight here it was so from virginia i was working in summers for pulte homes in washington dc area and i loved the company and they always offered me a job but I'm doing PhD, I want to go and teach. Sure. So I got a job at University of Florida. It's a Rinker School of Construction Management, very similar to our program here at Colorado State. And I was there for about 11 years, and then it was time to change, and I moved to Colorado. And this was a standard, you saw the job description come across some listserv, or somebody in your network shared it with you? I knew some people from here, but it was uh, more, I was just looking for opportunity, and that year when I applied, I applied only to this program. There are a couple of reasons why I came to this program. Uh-huh. First, it's again, one of the top programs in the country. Students are amazing. And also like for Collins. Like for me, it's also that personal side that I need to live in the city that I like. So it was, 
I think in what way is really great. That's well, good. grows on you rapidly, doesn't yeah. it? Yes, indeed. Down for sure. Yeah. So uh, we've we've managed to coax you into coming to CSU. Now, now you said you mentioned John Elliott. Did you were you hired at the same time? No, John was hired, I believe, two years before me. Okay. But he was a connection? No, no, because we, we were teaching the same class. Oh, Sometimes it comes with teaching, you know. It's not like we had big plan, but sure. it was teaching. And we were teaching building information modeling, this couple of software. So uh, virtual reality was pretty new at that time. And then it was coincidence. Alan Rudolph sent an email, and I didn't know he's a vice president for research. I responded to email <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, I can't make it to this meeting. And then we spoke on the phone because I couldn't make it to the meeting. And I realized, oh, he's into virtual reality too, very supportive, creating these different hubs around campus. So it was kind of coincidence too. Oh, that's uh, neat. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's better not to, to pay attention to who am I emailing and just go yeah. ahead and ask the question. Yeah. Right? Why not? That's great. Yeah. That's but awesome. yeah, John and I collaborated on a study in the class and then some other research related to build the information modeling. Scott Glick and I did a VR activity in materials and methods and just published a paper on that. So yeah, I'm trying to collaborate with, with colleagues Good. in the department. And we're looking at some other collaborations outside of the department in the in, at CSU. So tell me more steps. about that. You're, you're anticipating my next question about yeah, you think about pursuing these big questions yeah. and problems. What, what are things you're, you're currently doing slash looking forward to? In yeah, I was, again, fortunate to get funding from Engineering Information Foundation that mm -hmm. funds IT-based research. And we use that funding to integrate virtual and augmented reality into construction materials and methods. But then uh, this is more really related to education. It could translate to industry too. But now I'm looking with the colleague uh, Marie Vance and Jill Zareski sure, from our yeah, college. Yeah. We are trying to form the team and look at use of these technologies for uh, training of the aging workforce or future workforce. Oh, yeah. And then also um, some work could be done with the robots on construction sites. It's oh, pretty wow. new. It's still in research phase. Uh -huh. uh, like industry is not using it yet, mm -hmm. but that's what this team is trying to figure out. And we're applying for, we're gonna apply for NSF, we'll see. Good for you. That's nice. our goal. Now, again, you've sparked my interest. So, so tell me more about the feature of robotic construction. Yeah, so robotic is pretty common in car and plane industry, auto industry, but then buildings are very unique. It's mm -hmm. not repetitive like you're building Camry or I don't know, some other car. Mm -hmm. But some tasks that are repetitive and at the moment don't require intelligence of the robots, that they could be controlled remotely or not in real time, they could do so. I'm always thinking about a robot on the high-rise building welding exactly steel beam and column. Because there's that a safety is, issue. It's a safety exactly. issue, yeah. So this is one example or underwater. So some areas that are dangerous and not easily accessible and that are repetitive tasks because people get injured like doing repetitively certain movements. Mm -hmm. Natural so that, fatigue. Mm -hmm. of, yeah. So I do research not only in, in VR, AR, but how we apply that to safety of construction workers or sustainable buildings. That's another big area that I was working on before I moved to VR, AR. This brings so many things to mind. You know, the, the, yeah. the, 
I started thinking of these old, you know, black and white photos of, of workers mm -hmm. hanging out on, you know, the skeleton of a building. They're, you know, mm -hmm. 80 stories in the air or something yeah. along these lines. But the underwater thing makes me think of, you know, saturation divers who have to spend, you know, days at a time living in a little bell, right? And, you know, one hangs out in a bell and two are out working yeah. on some oil rig in the North Sea or something yeah. like that, yeah. right? Yeah. It's an environment where, for many reasons, right, yeah. the robotic uh, workers, for lack of a better word, yeah. would, would have a human safety uh, factor that's significant. Yeah. Interesting. So we'll see. Yes. That's yeah. our dream at the Looking moment. Looking forward to it. <laughs> now, tell us about sort of research groups. And these, these may be students, again, these colleagues, but when you think about them, we're, we're planning or we're doing, what, what, what does a day in the life of Svetlana look like from a discovery standpoint? I think one thing at a time and prioritizing and uh, catching up. But it is, uh, I think, number one priority is still teaching, mm -hmm. making sure we're doing it. It's really something that our department takes pride of. Sure. So making sure I am delivering good uh, learning experience. I wouldn't say lecture, learning experience to the students. And usually it's a couple of different classes a semester. Yeah. And then I work with the grad students. We have small grad program, but usually at the moment I have one master's and one PhD students, brand new they still don't know where they're going with their research, oh, yeah, so that's, uh, fun, that's yeah. exciting. I advise uh, Women in Construction Club, oh, fantastic. Uh, which grew a lot during COVID, which is interesting. So we have we are second largest club in the program after AGC, which is American General Contractors, and 25% of our members were men last spring so wow. that's interesting because we want that we want male students to support female students even here in school Indeed. and then translate that to industry mm -hmm. i coach virtual design and construction competition team that competes in arena and they've been pretty uh, successful wow. we're just building team now so we'll see how that goes nice i mentioned i do several kind of service uh, i have several service commitments so in the department um I was just elected by my colleagues to represent tenure and tenure track faculty on the executive committee of the department. I am uh, responsible for assessment in our program. So we just submitted self-study uh, this spring and I'm going through accreditation this uh, academic year. Uh, I serve on grad committee. And also, uh, I like to be involved in faculty governance. So at the moment, I represent our college in the committee of faculty governance of faculty council. So, so I think that's I, pretty much it. I, if that's I, pretty much it. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> in my everyday. We were, yeah. we were chatting before we came yeah. on air about the, the, you know, the way our effort distribution is, is yeah. captured ever so loosely for yeah. annual reports or whatever it yeah. might be. And, uh, your 100% sounds like it's a large and varied yeah. yes. 100%. T tell me a little bit, if you don't mind, about what, what you enjoy to do when you're not working so hard on campus. Yeah, so I make time. I make free time. I was just saying this weekend was beautiful weather, and I should have maybe catch up on work. But I'm like, weather is not going to be beautiful like this forever. So I went for a bike ride on both days. So I ride to ride the bicycle. My hometown is very biking oriented, so mm -hmm. that was really great to see in Fort Collins. And, sure. and I'm pretty recreational about that, not competitive. Sure. I enjoy the scenery and being on the bicycle. And then um, I, I, another passion that I have is uh, dancing. So I started taking ballroom dancing classes uh, in 2005. So it's been 17 oh, wow. years. Yeah. 
And then I moved to Fort Collins. There is not much ballroom dancing, but I found West Coast swing dancing. So I take classes. It's very structured. And uh, it, it was before COVID a couple of times a week. Now it's more like once a week. But that's uh, exercise and uh, my social life. Indeed, and, great. Uh, uh, distress, so it's it has multiple benefits. I do yoga too. I like to cook, and my sister's in San Diego, so I go to visit whenever oh, we can to see yeah. her and her family. That's, that's awesome. great. Yeah, my niece and nephew. Yeah, well Good. balanced. Good yeah, room. well, I don't know. I'm trying. I wish it's <laughs> there's more time in tw- in 24 hours right, yeah. for everything. <laughs> when you think about the influence you have on your students and trainees, what what what? are some of the lessons you hope that they take forward? Not, not just from construction management program writ large, but, but from you. From me, I teach very technical class, AutoCAD and Revit, it's software. But I always tell my students, I teach you also how to, or I help you learn how to be professional, right? So I want them to show up on time, do their work, ask questions, build integrity, all these more like soft people skills that industry is actually looking for rather than just technical knowledge that they will learn anyway. So I'm trying to make that impact like being a positive role model. I show up in class like 15 minutes before and I set up and I chat with them and then we are ready to go. This is the education of the whole person. mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. More, yeah, holistic rather than so. And then to encourage them to learn, it's uh, one piece of software that we learn. But I always tell them, learn how to learn. Um, don't memorize this stuff. It's going to be different software when you go out there, mm-hmm. like any other class. So just uh, to encourage them to be independent. Uh, I don't. I always tell them, I'm not going to spoon feed you. Sure, you need sure, to figure yeah. it out on your own. And I want you to be problem solvers and critical thinkers. So that's what I'm hoping to help them get there rather than just uh, making help them to go through one class and get the grades. Yeah. yeah. I think I would have enjoyed being a student of yours. I yeah, don't know. Likewise. It's not easy, but well, we, make that's it, okay. that's <laughs> we make it together. The I'm happy at the end when they see they learn. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So, so I want you to exercise your imagination a little bit. You're sitting down with your younger self, you as an undergraduate. What, what advice would you give your undergraduate self, uh, given the lessons you've learned over the last couple of years? Yeah, I always I tell this to my students too. Uh, just be open to opportunities that life brings, because uh, I don't know, when I was in, in my teenage years, I could never imagine that I would be uh, living in the United States, being professor at Colorado State or any university. Mm-hmm. So you never know, just be open. So I don't have really five, 10 year plans. It's usually like one year plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if I make decision about something, then it, it takes one year to bring it to the next level usually. So yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's my advice to myself or my students to be open. Excellent. Yeah. We have a couple questions about this this environment we find ourselves in. It's going to be a layered question. The first part of this is, is related to, to CSU. We, mm-hmm. we uh, hold out this fact with, with great pride that we're a land-grant institution. Mm-hmm. We, it's not just lip service. It's not just language yeah. on the website. We take it seriously. And I've been struck by that for 26 years, how, how seriously embedded into our institutional sort of DNA that notion is. Tell us a little bit about your perspective on working at a land-grant. 
Yeah, I, I really, when I moved here from another country, I didn't know what it means. I think Virginia Tech is also a land yes, grant, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I really like connection with the community and respect for indigenous people here mm-hmm. and serving not only uh, our students, but serving broader community. So in our program, we do have service component and we do go out to the community to help build the things. And uh, I think that's something that uh, I feel is very rewarding. It's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Yeah. Well, it's a great environment to do it in. Beautiful state. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. it is. So uh, embedded within this, this uh, massive thing we call CSU is this College of Health and Human Sciences. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in your reflections on being a faculty member as part of the CHHS family and community. Yeah, I I really, I like meeting other people. That's one of the reasons I'm always at this university committee, so I can meet people from the campus uh, and see what they're doing. But for our college, uh, I'd like to attend uh, our research day, which is recent, but even before that, not that recent, but when uh, Dr. Youngblade uh, became a dean. But I was always impressed by the diversity of uh, research that we are doing. And I personally, as a person, not as a faculty, also have interest in these areas. Mm-hmm. So I feel it's really interesting how we integrate very different disciplines and how we could uh, collaborate. So I, I see myself working with the faculty from design and merchandising and from uh, education and occupational therapy, and I assume health and exercise science, because if we talk about this technology that we are using, virtual reality, augmented reality, it could apply to any discipline, but also how we build buildings that will accommodate different people and different needs. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I do see, uh, I have personal interest in human uh, nutrition, so it's just my personal interest, but I think it's it's also very, very valuable. Whatever we do in our college, it makes big impact on, on community. There's yeah. always something interesting going on. Isn't yeah. There? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that yeah. word impact that you've mentioned a few times throughout oh, really? the conversation, okay. <laughs> um, it, it is great right? because yeah. that's exactly what we do in this college. I'm curious. I know that you are working a lot in the future. You know, a lot of the mm-hmm. the things that you, that you interact with in the technology is really on the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. But have you seen your research or even the research of your colleagues and your students um, make an impact in the lives of others? I think the major impact will be in education, helping students learn better because they do learn better by looking at images versus just text. And then virtual reality is even the next level. Mm. But more importantly, I think for industry, because these students will be going out to the real world and helping companies make transition. We were talking about that earlier today, how much industry uses this technology. They're very busy. They don't have time to spend, I don't know, 80 hours learning some technology or tools. I think our students will make also change when they start working for them. And they can bring that integrity piece mm-hmm. that you've modeled for that them, too. right? So yeah. they're technically competent and yeah. competent as part of a team, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Svetlana, I want to thank you on behalf of the college. We always look forward to these. I was certainly looking forward to today. We learned a little bit more about you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. I did. I did enjoy it very much. Very I appreciate you having me. And that's the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Health and Human Science Matters. 
If you want to learn more about our College of Health and Human Sciences, go to www.chhs.colostate.edu. And if you haven't already, add Health and Human Science Matters to your library of podcasts. Give us a follow and definitely give us a rating. I think we're worth at least five stars. Bare minimum. We would be that. We would definitely be that.